I am very grateful to get this opportunity to share with you today. Um, but before I start preaching, I wanna, since I won't be here on the 11th, I want to tell you a little bit, a little bit about my experience in Croatia. Um, I had a good time. Um, I got to room with Dave Shore. That was quite the experience. And uh, I feel very bad for Kimber because Dave snores a little bit, <laughs> and it's very loud. Um, it was great having Dave uh, as my roommate, and I had a lot of fun with him. And I was going back and forth because in Croatia, that's kind of where the tie originated, you know, like this tie. And I was like, ah, oh, should I buy one? Should I not? You know, this. I don't know if I want to spend quite that much money on it. And I was kind of talking about it with Dave. Dave bought me one. And so I'm going to show you this tie Dave bought me here. Hold on a second. What do you think? Is that good? <laughs> so, thank you, Dave, for this beautiful tie that you bought me. Um, and thank you for putting up with me while we were over there in Croatia. Um, but it was a great experience. Uh, I would encourage anybody who has the opportunity to try and go on a mission trip like this, to go overseas, to work with people who don't have the same things that we have. Now, we did get in a little bit of luxury. I mean, we were in some nice apartments. Um, but our bathroom, it was about this wide. And I have never been in a bathroom that was so small that you could sit on the toilet and wash your hands at the same time. So, but it was great. It was nice. Don't get me wrong. It was a very nice apartment and it was air conditioned. There's no complaints, really. I'm just saying, I've never been in a bathroom quite that small. Um, but we got to work with these refugees um, that were coming into Croatia trying to get asylum. Most of them weren't there because they wanted to be. In fact, any of the ones I talked to really didn't want to be there at all. Um, but they were kind of forced there out of some circumstances. Um, some uh, were coming from Iran. Some were coming from Syria. Some from Jordan. And I talked to some that were coming from Algeria and other places in Africa. Um, there was a variety of languages that were spoken. And some of them, many of them, didn't know English and the ones that did, didn't know a whole lot. And so we had this great opportunity to teach them and help them. Um, but it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, but as we're, we're hearing their stories, some of them left because they were going to be killed if they stayed because they were coming from Iran, a Muslim country, who had converted to Christianity. So they had to flee their country for their lives because they were a Christian in a place where it was not allowed Others of them were given the opportunity where either you have to kill people or you're going to be killed. And they didn't want to participate in that. And so they left running for their lives. And they're trying to get this asylum. And just hearing their stories and how little bit they have, but they're, they were generous with that little bit they had with us. You know, a lot of times they would give stuff to us. Um, sometimes they, I mean, one day one guy bought me a Coke for some reason. I mean, apparently I wanted one, but I mean, it was great. It was good. And I was glad and thankful for it. But they don't have a lot. We were able to help them out with the little bit that we had to bring with us. We just kind of shared Christ, well, shared, showed Christ's love. We didn't get to share it because of some rules and regulations of the place. We got to show Christ to them. Now, Christians do care about those who are on the margins, those who don't have. And so that was a little bit of my experience in Croatia. And so now I have a new uh, sympathy for Kimber. This is the biggest thing that I learned over there. Um, so now we can go into our sermon a little bit more. I want to tell you a story. I'll tell you a story about this great man of God. And we're going to call him, let's call him Hank. Um, so Hank 
is what they call a prophet. And he listens to God and he's in tune with God. And he knows he has God speaking to him so he can speak to other people and help change their lives. And Hank, he has this, this calling from God to do something that is unheard of. That's, that's something that you just don't do as a good good person, a good Christian, or a good person that he was he did, in tune with God. He just didn't do. God asked him to marry uh, a promiscuous woman. And so Hank's like, oh, I just don't want to do this, but God called me to. Okay. And so he did it. And so there, he's married to this girl. Let's see. Let's call her... Let's call her Gail. So you have Hank and Gail are now married. And, you know, they're happy. Hank is just in love with her. And they're just, they're living life right now. And they've been married for a while. And then they have a child. And their first child is a boy. And God gives him a name for that. We'll talk about this later. God gives them the first name of their child. And then they continue in their marriage. And Hank still loves her. But he's starting to suspect some things. And then along comes their second child. And it's a girl. And he names this girl something that means not loved. But this is the name that God gave Hank to give his daughter. And then they have a third child. And now this time he's like, I really just don't think that that's my child. And then he calls that child something that means not my people. And so Hank is continuing to love her and love these children. He's a good, faithful husband. He's a good, still being faithful to God and in tune with God and still speaking against all the injustices that are going on in the world around him. And so Hank, eventually they get to this point where Gail just up and leaves Hank, leaves the whole family and goes and she lives this life, this promiscuous life, more like a prostitute. She goes out to all these, she's a party girl, she's a always out with other guys where she's not supposed to be leaving her husband and family behind. But Hank still loves her and still loves his family. So he's still faithful. He's praying for her. He's, he's not really necessarily searching for her, but he still wants her. He still loves her and he still loves his kids and he's loving them and raising them to be good godly kids. And then years and years go by and Hank eventually goes out and he finds Gail and like what's like a slave market where they're selling her as a slave. And so Hank, he goes and he buys her back and he brings her back with him to his home. And after a period of isolation, he restores her as his wife. And he loves her and he shows her the same love that he had before when she was faithful to him now after he has known that she was unfaithful. Does anybody know what that story is? That's a true story, by the way comes straight out of the Bible. This is a story of the prophet Hosea. We're going to read a little bit of Hosea. Uh, We're going to read, now we're going to get into the scripture part of the sermon. So if you don't want to go too long into a sermon without reading scripture, you can get in trouble. So today's scripture reading comes from Hosea chapter 1. And it's on, what page was it? 615 in the Pew Bible. And since I didn't bring any electronics with me on the trip... I didn't get a chance to like make a PowerPoint, so there won't be a PowerPoint. So you're going to have to follow along in the Pew Bible or in your own Bible. Or if you get your Bible on electronic device, you can follow along that way. But this is Hosea chapter 1. We're going to read verses 2 through 10. So would you all please stand in honor of the reading of the Lord's Word this morning? Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. 
When the Lord God began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dilabam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The Lord said to Hosea, Call her lo Ruhumah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel, that I, could, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord, will save them. After she had leaned Lohurmah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said to him, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. Here ends the reading of the word the, the word of the Lord this morning. This is the word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, Hosea is an interesting book. It's the first of what a section of the Bible which we call the minor prophets. In the Hebrew text, they're called the twelve because there's twelve books in this section. And they're not called minor prophets because their message is any less important or something that we don't really need to pay attention to. They're called minor because they're short. They're little. They're not, they're not 66 chapters like Isaiah is. They're like 10 or 11 chapters, and some of them are like a page. And so they have some good messages when you dig into them. They have these interesting stories. And this one by Hosea is very challenging, I think, to us today. But let's look at what's going on during the time of Hosea. You see, God called the people up out of Egypt. These Israelite people that he had set apart, he said, I want you to be my people. And he called them, and he brought them up out of Egypt. But ever since that day, they had, they had, certain times they had rebelled against God. Because where God was taking them was to a place of uncertainty. They didn't know where God was eventually going to lead them to. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But when they were in Egypt, they had certainty. They knew it was going to happen. The Egyptians were going to oppress them, and they were going to have to keep working for them forever till they died. But God, they didn't know where they were going to go. But God still called them, and you know they slowly followed him. You know they'd follow him for a little while, then something would happen, and they decide that they knew better. And then later, they found out that they didn't really know anything at all. But God continued to call them, and He brought them up out of Egypt, and then He brought them into the Promised Land. And he started to to bless them while they were there. You know, they were you know, they'd be faithful to God for a while and then they wouldn't be, and then God would raise somebody up to save them, and they'd be faithful to God through the life of that person. Then they'd fall away. But they continued to do this, and then they had the kings. The first king was Saul. He was good, and then he was pretty bad. And then you had the second king was David, and he was a great king except for one thing he did. 
And then you had Solomon, who was a great king for most of his life. And then he ended up becoming a not-so-great king. And then scholars do think, though, at the end of his life, he came back and became faithful to God at the end. But what happened is, is God took some of that kingdom and he divided it in half. And so there was the Judah and Benjamin, and then a lot of the Levites migrated down into that part, even though they weren't allotted a territory. They kind of came and lived in the southern part with Judah because that was where the temple was. They continued to carry out their faithful duty to God when they lived closer to the temple. And you had the northern ten tribes of Israel were kind of united against the south Judah. And Judah, throughout their history, up to this point of Hosea's being written in the 700s B.C. And so uh, they split and they divided. And um, the southern kingdom, they would have a couple bad kings and then a good king and then a bad king and then a couple good kings and then some bad kings. But then the people of Israel, from the very start of the split, they never had a good king. They had one king that was better, but he wasn't good. But he was better. And so... What happened was is this Hosea's prophecies are all aimed kind of at the northern tribes where he was from. And Hosea's message is based around the names of the child, of his three children and the names that God gives him. You see, the Bible all connects. If you're reading this, when you're looking at the text, you know he ta- talks about the valley of Jezreel and the house of Jehu, what he did. And... It all connects if you're reading, because right now my scripture reading has been in Kings, so I'm kind of reading these stories. But the whole Bible ties together. I mean, you can pull single threads throughout the whole Bible. And this is kind of one of them where if you look back, it connects. You can, Because if you study these words of Jezreel, when you look at that word, every time that's kind of mentioned in time around that, it's a time of judgment. Somebody did something, and God had to pronounce judgment because of the sin that they had committed. They weren't faithful to God. They weren't following after what God called them to. They would acknowledge God, but they wouldn't follow after him. And so he calls him Jezreel because I will punish the house of Jehu. I gave the kingdom to him, but because of his sin, I had to take it away from him again. They had this long history. They would not listen to God. God continually would send prophets to call them back, this kingdom of Israel who was unfaithful to him. God called prophet after prophet after prophet to try and bring these people back into him to hear what he was saying, but they would not listen. They continued to be unfaithful. They continued to say, we know better. You know, yeah, God's out there. We know he's there, but you know, we don't really want to serve him because we think these gods are better. And then you come to their second child, the daughter. Her name means not loved. God wasn't going to show the same love to Israel anymore. He was going to be the good spouse that Hosea was and let his wife choose where she was going to go. He was continuing to love her and to be there and trying to be the best that he could for her. But she still left. Israel was like that. God was always present, always there, always looking to draw them into himself, to be in that relationship with him. No matter how unfaithful they were, no matter what they did, no matter where they were, no matter how many of them decided not to follow him. He was still there calling them into this covenant relationship that he wanted for them. Setting them aside to be a holy people, a priestly nation, and to be a blessing to the whole world around them. And so he wasn't going to love them that same way anymore. He was going to still be there for them, but he was going to let them make their own choices now. And then the last one 
uh, means not my people, that third child that he had. They had abandoned God and what he called them to be. You know, they didn't, they didn't want to do what God wanted them to do. So he just, they decided they were no longer going to follow God's will. They were going to do their own thing. So God said, okay, you're not going to be my people. And that's your choice. But they, commit, they, they still would acknowledge God with their lips. You see, every good Hebrew knew what's called the Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your heart and with all your strength. They all knew that. So they would acknowledge that to God. They would know who God was, but they would not serve him faithfully. They abandoned God. They were unfaithful to him, just like Hosea's wife was to him. See, Hosea got a small taste of what God's heart was like. God's heart was broken because of what the people of Israel did, because of their unfaithfulness, just like Hosea's heart was broken when his life left. But Hosea couldn't experience the same thing that God did because God has so much love for every single person that his heart broke so much when these people decided not to follow him. God is the good spouse to a community of people, but he's also the good parent to each individual. You know how parents will let their children, at some point the child will come to a teenage years usually, and they'll decide that they know better and they're going to go do their own thing. And come to find out that their parents actually had better advice and they always learn better at the end. And so these kids, or that's what God does with the people. He says, okay, this is your choice. I'm still here for you. I'm still going to love you like that good faithful parent or that good faithful spouse. But that's your choice. And I'm still with you. What they had chose was they had chose to commit words to God, but not actions. They had chose to make a commitment, but not a lifestyle to God. And so I kind of reminded on this trip, um, we got to go see what's called the Plitza Lakes. It's absolutely stunning. If you saw the pictures on Facebook, they pale into comparison to being there in person. Um, but it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, these, these, these waterfalls just coming and this water that's as clear blue as you can see it. And so we got there, we had like four hours to go through the whole park, which takes like four days to go through the whole thing. But we went through parts of it in four hours. And so we're walking around the park, and then we get to a point, and we take this boat over to this other peninsula, other part of the park. And when we got there, you know, we're all kind of going around, and, you know, I decided I'll just kind of follow the, everybody and be in the last of the line to make sure everybody's okay and everybody can get through. And we had to be back down by 8. And so, okay, so we're all going out there, and we kind of disperse. And so you kind of walk up these steps and you're walking across the lake and you, you come to this point where the trail kind of splits. You can go to the right or you can go like down to the left. And so some people had gone down to the left and, and I was going to walk down that way, down these steps and down around the corner. But they had all come back and I said, oh, is there nothing over there? Does it end? Like, no, it just kind of flattens out and you don't see anything. And so I decided, okay, well, you know what, I'll just kind of follow that trail out because I'm sure that trail goes somewhere. And so I start walking down the trail. So I'm going down there, and we walk around the corner, and then down some steps, and then around the corner. And we're just, I'm walking. I'm going to go all the way out, and I come around this one corner, and all of a sudden I look over there to my left, and there is this beautiful waterfall just coming down, and you can see it. 
And I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can get closer because this trail keeps going. And so I follow the trail, and I can see it kind of wraps around this bay. And so I just follow this out. And I get to walk all the way around, and I get to stand in front of this beautiful waterfall. And you can stand there, and the mist is coming out just like, oh, this feels good because it's hot out here. And I've been walking a long ways. And so I'm like, okay, that feels good. All right. Well, I better start going back and see where the other trails lead. So I walk back, and then I come back to that fork where you can go left or right. And this time I went right. And I went, went to the right, and then you walk that ways, and then it goes up, and then it goes down. So I walked down, and I'd see another waterfall down there, and I followed it out. The trail got muddy, and all I had was one pair of tennis shoes, so I had to turn around and come back. And then I went up, and I started climbing back to the left, and so I went up the mountain. And it was a steep trail. I mean, it's like, <sighs> and as I'm breathing really heavy trying to go up this mountain, and I'm just walking up this hillside. And I walk up there, and I keep walking, and I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to be able to walk down to that waterfall I saw earlier. But I kept walking up this, and I got to a point where there's a clearing and a little trail going out to this lookout point. And I walked out there, and there was the waterfall in the distance. And I was like, I've been down there. I got to see that right up close. But now I was at a distance. I was on a different path, and I couldn't get up close to that. I knew it was there, but I couldn't get to it. And so I kept walking up this trail, and I kept going up higher in the mountain. (sighs) I kept going higher and higher, and I'm like... I'm running out of time. I'm going to have to turn around soon. But i got a few more minutes because I'm walking downhill. And so I, I was walking up, and I'm like, this has got to turn down, down and to the left. And I kept looking for the way. It went down to the left. But it never did. It just kept going up and to the right and up and up. I'm like, all right. Well, it's like 740, and then the last boat leaves at 8, so i got to turn around now. So I turn around, and I start moving down the mountain. I'm kind of like running to make sure I get back there so the boat doesn't leave me. And, and I make it all the way back down there. And, of course, they were all mad at me because if I'd been back there like five minutes earlier, we could have left at 7.45. But they didn't tell me that. And so I got back down there, and I, I started talking with everybody. And I was like, yeah, did you, did you guys see that waterfall that was way over there? And they're like, oh, yeah, we wiped up that hill, and we got to see it in the distance. I'm like, oh, sucks to be you. <laughs> I didn't say that. I guess I did to it now because some of them are here. Um, but, you know, they didn't get to see it. And they were like, yeah, we struggled up. We got to some pictures of it. And I was like, I got to stand in front of it. Um, and then, you know, we all had a good time. We all made it back safe. You know, we all, we're all back. Well, not all of us, but a majority of us are now back home. But that reminded me, and I got to thinking about this, and God kind of showed me that that's what Israel's story was like. God called them, and he said, I'm going to take you down this path. I didn't know where the path went that God was that I was following to go to that waterfall. But that's what Israel didn't know where God was going to take them. And he took them out into the wilderness. And he talked to them, brought them around and they got to stand in his presence. Got to see his glory, got to feel him being poured out. They got to stand there like I did in the mist. They got to see this beautiful water, stunning waterfall. They got to feel it. I also forgot a camera. You know, because I'm a real smart guy. No electronics. That means I didn't bring my phone. And that also means I forgot to put my camera in my bag. So I didn't get the pictures of it. But other people did. So I am tried to get pictures of it for this morning because I wanted to show you. But I couldn't do it um, because other people either didn't bring their phone, didn't put their phones on. And I didn't know who actually had the pictures of it in the end. But I got to, Israel got to see God's glory. They got to see him. They were in his presence. They got to feel him being poured out on him. But then they decided that they wanted to go a different way. 
And they turned around like I did, and they walked back. And then they went, started going this other trail. And it's still you can still get to God. You can always turn around and go back down to that waterfall. But they started hiking up that difficult trail like I did. They're going, huh. You know, this is hard work. You know, this is not what we wanted. You know, for a while it was nice and easy, you know, going back going back towards the trailhead. That was a nice flat walk. But once you started going uphill, it got hard. And that's where these Israelites, this point where Isaiah is in history, is that point where the trail is starting to get hard. It was all nice and easy for Israel. They were successful, but God was now turning away from them. He was not going to bless them the same way any longer because of their unfaithfulness. Because they'd only committed words to him and not changed their lifestyles for him. And so God, or so what happened was Israel ended up at that point where I was. They were up there on the hill. The prophets would call to them. They could see God. They knew he was there, but they didn't want to go down to him. They didn't want to get to him. They couldn't on the trail they were on. They had to turn and make a change in how they lived their lives. And they didn't. But this brings us to the end, and I really don't know how I want to close this, but I do want to talk about how this relates to our present day. You see, we have the same problems that were going on in Hosea's day. See, in Hosea's day, the people were following after their idols. They were following a lot of... um, um, Boy, my brain is not working well this morning. Um, But they had, like... They had temple prostitutes in some of their kingdoms. They would fall. They were they were in love. They were following after those gods. They were being unfaithful through that. They were following, not doing what God called them to be. And we have that same problem. We don't have temple prostitutes. We have people who are living in sexual immorality because they don't realize that the way God wants them to go is going to be a greater blessing to them than the way they're going. And we have, we can look back at all the problems that the Israelites had and think we'd have done something differently. But the truth is, if we were in their shoes, we might have done the same thing because we often do the same thing today. God calls us down certain paths, but we're unsure of where they're going to go. We don't know what God is leading us to. There's uncertainty down these paths. But God knows the end. God is there already. God is all along the path guiding us. And He is certain. God is certain. But there's nothing, but we are uncertain if we can trust God at times. And so we abandon God's calling for us. And I also think that we as a people have abandoned what God has called us to do. We are often like the Israelites. We make this commitment to God. I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to pay a little bit of money to the church, and then I'm good. I'm going to pray a little prayer, and I'm going to have salvation. But that's not what God calls us to be. God calls us to be a community of people who are changing the world. We are not called to just make a commitment to be there on Sunday. We are called to live a lifestyle that reflects who God is, His character, and how Jesus lived. Because if we look at what Jesus did in the New Testament, He ate with people who were considered unclean. He touched people that nobody else would and because of how jesus lived people were changed and my question to us today is by the way you are living are you changing other people are we as a community changing the community in which we live are we being faithful to what god has called us to be 
God is faithful. He always has been and he always will be right there ready to change your life if you are willing to participate in that. God is surrounding us with his grace and with his love and with his mercy. And he wants us to make the change. And it's always right there. But there is a part of us that must participate. Now, we can't make the fruit of our lives grow. God only is the only one that can do that. But we are the ones who can produce the best soil soil conditions to make that happen. And so we are called to participate in that. And that can be done through our lifestyle, through Bible reading, through prayer, through coming to church on Sunday. Don't get me wrong. Coming to church is absolutely necessary for making sure that we are Christians. And giving generously is what we need to be doing. Giving till it can hurt. And so we need to make sure we are faithful to God. And so I'm not really sure how I want to close, but I would like, Deb, can we sing Great Is Your Faithfulness one more time? And then if you feel like you need to pray, you're more than welcome to do that. Um, If you don't, that's okay. Um, But I would like to sing Great Is Your Faithfulness. And I want to ask you to think about, are you being faithful to God like He has been faithful to you?